0: Tonight, on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1975.
1: Well, may we say, God save the Queen. (laughs) Because nothing will save the Governor-General.
0: We're joined by Dr. Tim Batten to discuss the dismissal of Gough Whitlam on the 11th of November, 1975.
1: The proclamation which you have just heard read by the Governor General's official secretary was countersigned Malcolm Fraser.
0: This is fifty years of Tune FM, nineteen seventy-five. You're listening to one hundred six point nine Tune FM. We're on a Throwback Thursday, nineteen seventy-five, and we're joined by Dr Tim Batten to talk a little bit about um, a bit of a crisis that happened in Australian government at the time. How are you, Tim?
2: Very well. Thanks, Jacob.
0: Um, so we'll, we'll get into the, the constitutional crisis in a second. Can you get give us a bit of a background, because we haven't really talked about it so far on Throwback Thursday, what was going on in Australian government in the early 1970s?
2: Okay, so um, the early 70s, I don't want to go back too far. I suppose I should mention the summer of the Vietnam War um, and the... Um, fact of many street demonstrations and the uh, social movements at the time, which were part of the constituency that brought the Whitlam government to power in 1972. So uh, when Whitlam came to power in uh, at the end of 1972, one of his first acts as uh, as a, uh, a two man government. Um, um, was to end conscription. And uh, then the process of uh, withdrawal of Vietnam um, had been occurring for uh, some time, but Whitlam uh, saw uh, real and symbolic uh, value in um, ending conscription uh, when he and Lance Barnard formed the first Whitlam government
0: okay and so uh, there were three years into uh, Whitlam's term and um, can you tell us exactly what the problem was that the Whitlam government was facing
2: okay so the Whitlam government uh, um, again uh, by way of background before I come to the crisis itself so the Whitlam government comes into office with a very ambitious program um, because it's the first Labor government in 23 years. that has been uh, the first Labor government since 1949. And uh, Whitlam had uh, a program which he wanted to implement and um, he had already in May of 1974, he um, used the constitution to uh, um, hold a double dissolution election And that's important for the crisis of 1975 because of reasons we'll we'll discover in a moment but in may 1974 whitlam's legislation in a number of key areas was blocked and whitlam uh, uh, used a constitutional method of breaking the deadlock by holding a double dissolution election where the entire parliament is is dissolved and elections are held not just for the House of Representatives, but for the entire Senate. Um, part of the problem that Whitlam faced between his election in 72 and the double dissolution election of 1974 was the lag effect of the Senate. So only normally in an election, only half the Senate is elected and the other half uh, maintains its uh, the, the Senators maintain their seats. And then in the subsequent election, it's, it rotates so that the ones who, uh, who held their seats at the last election are then up for re-election. Um, Whitlam had the frustrating experience of having legislation blocked, including Medibank um, and, uh, and electoral reform. And um, he sought uh, the double dissolution of election of May '74 to break that deadlock and was successful in breaking the deadlock. He then held a, a joint sitting of Parliament in August because the legislation was again blocked by the coalition parties in the Senate. So Whitlam held a joint sitting of Parliament, the first and only joint sitting of Parliament, to break that deadlock and the legislation was passed so that that's that's important because when we come to the constitutional matters of october and november 1975 much of that is 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 still relevant much of what happened in 74 is still relevant because the coalition parties were using their numbers in the senate to delay the debate about the budget so the budget as handed down in august uh, 75 uh, that what happens normally is the budget is um, uh, delivered in the House of Representatives and it's deliberated on and then it goes to the Senate um, and the Senate passes the uh, appropriation bills and the, and the supply of money is made available to the government what the coalition parties under the leadership of Malcolm Fraser did in October, Uh, 1975 was to delay debating the matter of supply so they didn't refuse supply outright they delayed uh, debating it in other words they just put it off kept putting it off Um, and it was then uh, in October 75 uh, that Malcolm Fraser saw that because the government was becoming unpopular the Whitlam government had a number of scandals that it was dealing with, most notably the loans affair. Uh, Fraser saw an opportunity for himself to block supply by delay, and Whitlam uh, wouldn't budge and held firm on the what he saw uh, as the dominant position of the House of Representatives that he, that he would often refer to the House. Of representatives as the People's House, and um, so Whitlam saw this as a uh, as a as a threat, quite rightly saw it as a threat to the legitimacy of his government. So he held firm, and there you have the setting for the crisis that occurred in October and November 75.
0: So what did it all boil down to in October and November? Did it all come to a bit of a head with, uh, with uh, as you said, the coalition blocking the budget? And then um, something happened that had never happened in the history of Australia and hasn't happened since?
1: Right.
2: So um, as I say, in October 75, Malcolm Fraser took the action he did because he thought um, it would be a popular move. But what was occurring... Uh, as as the weeks went on, was a decline in his popularity, and in fact, um, popular um, opinion shifted. And the more that Whitlam argued his case that the Senate didn't have the right to do this. Uh, the more that public opinion shifted in his favour. So um, by the time leading up to the crisis on the 11th of November, by the time, uh, by the, rather in the lead up to the dismissal on the 11th of November, it was something like two-thirds opinion was against what Fraser was doing. The matter was really essentially not a constitutional crisis at all, and Whitlam held firm to this—that it was in essence, he said, and I think he's quite—he was quite correct to say it—that it was a political crisis. That what in fact was occurring was a a fight over uh, the Senate, the Senate's right to do what it was doing versus the the right of the house of representatives and the and the um, higher authority if you like of the house of representatives versus the senate and of course all of this occurs with um a debate about conventions and it's very important to see the role of convention in being able to interpret the constitution because the constitution says nothing about conventions but in order to make australia's system of government work indeed any system of government work you need to have well-established conventions so um and then it becomes a fight over over the authority if you like of those conventions so those who are supporting the actions of malcolm fraser would often talk in terms of the government that uh, is refused supply has to resign or call an election well that's 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 a convention of some standing but it but it has nowhere near the weight of the convention that Whitlam was citing so whitlam's convention that he was citing was that a government which loses the confidence of the house of reps must Resign or call an election, and that's important for what happened on the afternoon of the 11th of November. Because what happens, of this, is that Whitlam was depending on another crucial convention when he was advising the Governor General, John Kerr, of what Kerr's responsibilities were. So Whitlam took Kerr into his confidence. In fact, on the day of the 11th, when Whitlam went to see the Governor-General, he had made an appointment uh, an appointment to see John Kerr um, to advise him of a half-Senate election um, to break the deadlock. So this was rather like Whitlam's um, um, strategy in 1974 to, and he used this as his last resort, to break the deadlock, Um, Whitlam was going to advise the Governor-General, and the Governor-General knew this because Whitlam had told him. In fact, Whitlam had sent him a draft of his advice before he went to see him on the 11th of November. He'd he'd advised him of his um, intentions on the 6th of November. So Kerr had plenty of notice. And just as Whitlam was about to give Kerr the written advice for a half Senate election on the 11th, John Kerr handed him the notice of um, dismissal. Now this breached a crucial convention. This breached the convention that the governor general, as the monarch in Britain would do, must accept the advice of his, or in the case of the monarch, her elected prime minister. Kerr breached that convention. Whitlam saw this as an outrage that not only did he not accept the advice of his elected prime minister, he was meeting in secret with the leader of the opposition and taking advice from the leader of the opposition. And he was also taking advice from the Chief Justice of the High Court and as we know in the recent research conducted by Professor Jenny Hocking from Monash, he was also taking advice from Anthony Mason, who was a Justice of the High Court and and later in the 1980s the Chief Justice of the High Court of Australia and all of that was done in secret. So there were these Shocking breaches of convention, another another breach of convention was, and this gave the Fraser Coalition parties the numbers in the Senate to pull on the blocking of supply in the first place, was that when a senator uh, resigns or dies in office, the convention in Australia is that he or she will be replaced by a person in the same political party. And in 1975, one Senator, uh, Lionel Murphy, resigned and took up a position in in the High Court. And another Senator, another Labor Senator, Bert Milner in Queensland died. And in each of these two cases, in the case of Lionel Murphy, the New South Wales government appointed uh, a non-Labor person to, to fill that casual vacancy. And in the case of the, the Queensland government, the, the government appointed a non-Labour person to fill that casual vacancy as well. So you see these breaches of convention going on, which allowed the crisis to occur in the first place. And then you have the crisis itself where there was a of convention. You've been listening
0: to Throwback Thursday, 1975. Elsewhere in 1975, the war in Vietnam came to an end at the end of April, as a series of events led to the fall of Saigon. During the previous month, the North Vietnamese Army began an aggressive campaign against South Vietnam, and by the end of April, North Vietnam took Saigon. After realizing that it would be impossible to defend the South against North Vietnam, the South Vietnamese president resigned, and South Vietnam surrendered unconditionally to the North. The United States' involvement in the war ended on the last day of April, after about 20 years, as the last American military members escaped in helicopters taking off from the U.S. Embassy in Saigon as part of Operation Babylift. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, this is I'm Not In Love by 10CC.
1: So don't forget it, it's just a silly face.
0: listening to Throwback Thursday, 1975, the dismissal of Prime Minister Gough Whitlam with Dr. Tim Batten. So what was the public's response immediately
2: after Whitlam's dismissal? Immediately after, the public's response was very much in support. So it hadn't shifted from its strong support for Whitlam or rather it'd probably be safer to say it's opposition to what the opposition was doing. Um, So the Whitlam government had its problems, but the overriding sense uh, in the public was um, we don't um, agree with everything this government is doing, but this is not the way uh, to, um, to deal with any of the problems that the government is having. Uh, by, by just simply throwing it out um, halfway through its turn so um so that that kind of mood lasted historians um, debate this but my own view is that it lasted for about a week and then the mood shifted and by no small measure the mood shifts because of the power of the murdoch press at the time, um, and um, so between um, middle of November um, and when the election was held on the 13th of December, uh, the mood shifts um, enough uh, to to remove the uh, Whitlam government to, and to, to, to result in the uh, uh, emphatic victory. That uh, Malcolm Fraser was able to secure, and how is it viewed
0: today? I mean, it's considered the greatest political crisis in Australia's history. But um, what changes have been made, and what legacy does this kind, of, does, this, does this event have on Australian politics today?
2: Um, that's a very good question. It um, at, at at one end of the spectrum um, of, of opinion about relevance, um, th- there'd be a view that is not relevant at all. Um, I, I take a very different view. Um, um, and, and the reason I take a very different view is it's it, it's the first time that um, you, you could point to a clear example. Of where, mediating institutions um, uh, are not used in the way they ought to be, and indeed they are weaponised. You, you see, Whitlam was a supreme constitutionalist and a supreme parliamentarian, and he had faith in these both these institutions: the institution of the parliament and the institution the, and the constitution itself. So he saw these these institutions as crucial, and indeed, he saw them as being able to provide the way to deal with the political crisis. Mm -hmm. So let's go back a step. Um, Whitlam carried with him that day when he went to see John Kerr, written advice, which Kerr had been previously notified, to hold a half-Senate election. This wasn't some sort of Mickey Mouse caper that Whitlam had cobbled together. A half Senate election was due before mid nineteen seventy six. In any case, quite a side, nothing to do, nothing to do with the crisis itself. That had to do with the lagged effect of the of of the Senate voting. The Senate and the House had got out of sync with one another, and and it's take too long to explain how that happened in the nineteen sixties, but. Um, Be that as it may, the House and the Senate were out of sync and uh, a half-Senate election was due before the middle of 1976. Here we are at the end of 1975 and and we've got a deadlock. Whitlam brings the two problems together to solve both problems by offering his advice to the Governor-General to dissolve half the Senate and hold an election. Kerr had the the solution given to him, but refused to accept it, dismissing Whitlam. And then later that day, this is important. This is another convention breached. Whitlam being the supreme parliamentarian that he was, saw that the parliament could then resolve the crisis because the Senate, on Fraser's instruction, after the lunch break on the 11th, passed the budget. So the the supply was passed. It was was passed at 2.24 that afternoon. When Fraser learnt that the Senate had passed supply, He then stood in the House of Representatives to announce what had happened during the lunch break, that the Governor-General had um, withdrawn the commission of Whitlam as Prime Minister. Whitlam had his strategy ready, that the House would then debate a motion of no confidence in Malcolm Fraser as caretaker Prime Minister, because Whitlam, Took the view according that according to the very well-established convention that a government that loses the confidence of the House of Representatives must resign. And uh, Whitlam carried that notion of no confidence in Malcolm Fraser and his government, his caretaker government, and then instructed the Speaker of the House to go and to uh, report this to uh, the Governor-General. The Governor-General, knowing what the Speaker would tell him, refused to see the Speaker of the House. The highest elected um, um, officer of the Parliament is the Speaker of the Parliament, is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Kerr refused to see him because Kerr knew that Whitlam had outmanoeuvred him. So these are very important um, matters today, because we see today, uh, well, to to go back to 1975, and indeed to give Fraser some credit, when Fraser was um, Prime Minister in the late 70s and early 80s, scandals mattered. Um, So... The the, the the mere um, passing of time has, has shown that um, scandals these days don't seem to matter as much as the, as they did back then so that's one very big difference and 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 um, uh, one very large retrograde step that we've taken since the mid1970s You've been listening to Throwback Thursday,
0: 1975. Elsewhere in 1975, the hit film Jaws had its theatrical release in June. It was one of the first blockbuster films, and at the time of its release had become the highest-grossing film of all time. The film was directed by Steven Spielberg and starred Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Scheider, and Robert Shaw. The plot revolved around a killer shark terrorizing a small town and those who would hunt it. It was nominated for several Academy Awards and won three of them, known for its dramatic score, superior editing and suspenseful premise, the film Jaws is considered by many critics to be one of the greatest films ever made. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, this is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen.
1: Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see Ooh, I'm just a boy I need no spirit Because things. I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Any way the, the wind, wind blows Doesn't really matter. killed Mamma mia, let me go. The ultimate boop.
0: You're listening to Throwback Thursday, 1975, the dismissal of Prime Minister Gough Whitlam with Dr. Tim Batten. What do you think are the chances that something like this on this scale could ever happen again? I mean, we've seen um, as as close as you can get to hung parliaments and um, different parties holding the Senate as the House of Representatives. Um, Could this ever happen again, I guess is the question
2: yet um, yes i think undoubtedly could happen again the the reason some folks seems to be that um because they they psychologize the events of 1975 instead of putting that, those events in their proper political context and those who psychologize it tend to look at it as, that well, there were three very stubborn men who uh, needed their heads knocked together and um, and that could never happen again because the likelihood of three such individuals ever uh, uh, holding those um, offices uh, would, you know, is so small as to present no uh, real likelihood at all. That's to just simply misread the events of 1975. The events of 1975 come about because we had an opposition, a coalition at the time, that simply refused to believe that the people had the right to elect a Labor government. Um, They... Um, took it upon themselves, and they—I'm not making this up. Some of them have actually been quoted as saying that 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 they saw their role in opposition to to overthrow the government at the earliest possible opportunity. So Reg Withers was was someone who took this view. Um, Malcolm Fraser certainly took that view. So we have to see the events as essentially. Um, about politics not about individual um, egos this was these were um, events that took place because of the politics of the time and the politics of the time were very much imbued with a contest a contest of ideas a clash of ideas about um, what governments would do, the role of government um, in a a mixed economy and a society that um, was was, um, um, split down the middle about the role of government. And um, could that happen again? Yes, it could happen again. my view is that we, we've never really sorted it out as a society. We've never really wanted to have the debate in a full-blown um, style about the, the matters that were raised by the constitutional crisis of 1975, or the what I'm calling the political crisis of 1975. Just quickly,
0: um, before we finish up, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the power of the Murdoch press and how that really influenced the outcome of the election after the crisis. Um, Do they continue to hold that power today without going into too much depth about the media landscape?
2: Yes, yes they do. Uh, If anything, it's increased and and the media in Australia has become even more concentrated. And it's um, often cited as the most concentrated media ownership in the Western world. Um, Yeah, uh, although there are things that are different now. We've got social media um, where we didn't have that before. And so while it's true that Australia's mass media uh, or conventional media is uh, the most concentrated in um, in the advanced world, Um, uh, It's a concentration that fewer people are subject to, if you like So uh, there are are alternative media now uh, that exist Which were um, um, unimaginable, really, in the mid-1970s
0: All right, well, thank you so much for joining us and discussing what was a really interesting uh, period in Australia's political history. It's been a pleasure to have you again.
2: You're very welcome, Jacob. Thank you.
0: You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Make sure you join us next week. We'll be moving on to 1976. Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1975, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Join us next week as we discuss the foundation of Apple Computer Company on the 1st of April 1976. Stay tuned to 106.9 Tune FM, your home of student powered radio for the last 50 years.